We hear this morning from the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is a joy to be with you in worship. Hello to those of you who are streaming or will watch this on demand. We are certainly happy to be together in worship today. I am my own harshest critic, as I imagine you are for yourself. I hardly ever walk out of the pulpit thinking to myself, wow, that was a great sermon I just preached. I usually have a lot of criticisms in my own mind about my own sermon, so that's the reason I probably don't uh, ask you to go back and rewatch them, but I'm going to break that today, uh, and in all humility, I really do ask that if you haven't uh, listened to the sermon from last week, that you please do so. Um, we addressed in that sermon our political polarization, a situation that we all face as Americans today, and, and how being the church is unique and different, and I, I pray that you'll listen to it openly, because I think that pairs well with the text that we just read, and so we're focusing two weeks in a row on what God's heart is in a world that is fractured and hurt and divided. We won't address the polarization in this sermon, but I do think it's a good companion. So if you will, go and give that a listen and, uh, and, and maybe continue thinking with me as we walk through this political season about how Christians must, in fact, be different. Now, I'm already worried that, that was too egotistical to ask you to go watch one of my sermons, so I think I probably need to pray to ask for forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us, and we confess that we have not always treated that life well. Through waywardness and disobedience, we as a human race, have walked away from your divine love. But it is the deep and abiding confession of our church that you have sent your Son Christ into our world to reconcile us unto yourself, to cultivate in our hearts a desire for your kingdom, for your pathways. And for this gift of your Son, we say thank you. We also confess as a church, we believe that you've sent your Holy Spirit to walk with Christians as a guide and a friend to enliven this community and make it a community of care. Again, we are grateful for this gift, and we ask for it more. 
God, please send your Holy Spirit freshly in this hour for you and I know without you I can do absolutely nothing. Send your Spirit that this teaching from St. Matthew may live in our hearts and leave us transformed and renewed. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God and forevermore, we pray. And God's people say together, Amen. Thursday night, Midtown Alliance held an informational meeting in Burns Hall downstairs. I went to it because I'm curious about what they're up to. They'd like to take away 8% of the roadways in Midtown and convert them to bicycle lanes, scooter lanes. And I know a lot of you are bothered by that. I absolutely agree with them. I, I think it, it's going to be short-term pain for long-term gain, but the pain's there still. What they want to start doing by 2021 is they want to take Spring Street down one entire lane starting right here at the corner of our church. So I went there to tell them my concerns. One, they're taking some of our parking. Two, if you've ever driven north on Peachtree Street during rush hour traffic and taken a left on Spring, it's a harrowing experience, and that turn lane is often the safety point for us to get into our parking lot. So I went into this meeting sort of like Jimmy Stewart from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington making my speeches. They listened to me well, and one of the planners or the engineers or designers, he pulled me aside and he said, the world we're trying to make, Dr. Longbombs, ooh, the world we're trying to make, boy, I thought that phrase sounded very cinematic. The world we're creating. It made me think, though. What kind of world are you making? Or what kind of world have you made? Because the truth is, we all construct our worlds. We don't simply receive the world objectively from some point of view that's nowhere. We, no, we created a world we have preconceived notions about the world, and we classify elements of our world. We have values that help us create and construct our worlds. Some hallmarks of the worlds we construct include maybe who we think is in and maybe who we think should be out. Another hallmark is what we find valuable enough to spend our time and money on. Those are hallmarks that will tell you what kind of world you've constructed for yourself. Um, hat tip to my friend Kelly Howard. She put me onto a good podcast that I actually recommend to all of you, Dolly Parton's America. It's only nine episodes. I listened to it. I loved it. I think we need more Dolly Partons in the world. Absolutely impressed by her. And she talks about this period of her songwriting called her sad songs. The first few albums are terribly sad. And, and the interviewer said, why'd you write so many sad songs? And she said, well, that's just the world I grew up in. All the songs sounded like. And then she began to sing the old-time folk songs of the mountains that helped shape the way she would see her world and then shape the way that she would write her music about her world and I don't care if you're a Dolly Parton fan or not, you probably have some notion of the Appalachia region of our country that's probably been shaped and constructed by the lyrics of a Dolly Parton song. We construct worlds. There's a danger in constructing our world, though, isn't there? Because we are not objective, and our 
point of view is not universal. The worlds we make are often fragmented and segmented and siloed this way and that. And it is socially acceptable to do so. It's socially acceptable to even have in your world that you've made goodies and baddies, villains and heroes. You unite with some, you depart and divide with others. And perhaps as you hear me go on and on about that today, you're okay with it. You might be saying in your mind, Pastor, we can't all get along. We all, not all of us will ever agree. We just have to live like that. But if you're here today, you're in, you're in church for a reason, and, it's, and hopefully it's a good one. And, and I think that one of the reasons why we ought to be here is to ask a fundamental but important question. What is God's heart for the world? What does God want with this world? If you have eyes and ears and breath, you know that the world is broken. It's many fractured and cracked. You know if you've read Scripture that God wants to do something new and fresh with this world. What is God's heart for it? As Christians, we believe that the fractured nature of the broken creation is, is, in a sense, healed by the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Friends, I think the heart of God for this world right now, at least part of the answer for the problem, has got to be the church. He has given His Son to heal the brokenness of it all, and then He's called the community to fulfill the mission of Jesus. In fact, it, it's not just a, a metaphor that we're called the body of Christ. This is like a mystical reality that we have to live into. We are, in fact, the embodiment of the Spirit of Christ in the world to heal, to make it new. And when we read passages like this one, we, we get a sense of our mission again. The church is supposed to be a community of reconciliation. Jesus goes on and on about this, doesn't he? You've heard it said before, don't murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with somebody, you got a problem. If you got division with somebody, you got a problem. I tell you, if you participate in any of this stuff that separates people in nasty little ways, that, that's, that's already bad enough. You see, in Jesus' point of view, it's not just, it's not good enough just to be against something. Don't kill people. Big deal. You're real moral if you haven't done that one. It's not just what you're against, but it's what you work for. It's not just not murdering, but it's working for wholeness. It's working for peace. It's working for reconciliation where relationships have been cracked and fractured. It's not good enough to be against something. It's what we're for that marks us as Christians, my friends. This is why last year when I cast vision for the church, I, I looked through our history and tried to name some values that have always been here, present in the life of this church, and then I wanted to hold them up. So we say that Peachtree Christian Church is a community of reconciliation, cultivation, and care. Hopefully you notice every time I pray before I preach, firstly, it's Trinitarian. We address the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I'm always praying for the reconciliation work of Christ. Absolutely one of our values is that we want to help people connect with God again. 
that this brokenness between the human world and God, that this, that this has already been fixed and healed by Jesus, but we're going to help people along the way. And, and absolutely part of our values is that we are a community of reconciliation in a world that is otherwise broken between each other. This is why we pass the peace. We don't pass the peace so you can find out how somebody's week went. We pass the peace and put those words in your mouth because instead of saying to somebody, how dare you vote for so-and-so or how dare you cheer for this team, instead you say, I want you to have peace. Peace to you, brother or sister. It's the reason why the most important thing we do in worship is not listen to me go on and on up here in a sermon. The most important aspect of our worship is that table, friends where we all have a spot, and Jesus has made the room for us. And we come with our differences, and we sit together, and we sit over the thing that unifies us, the blood of Christ. Peace with you. Peace for me. Reconciliation, my friends. We all know stories of reconciliation, but unfortunately, we know far more stories where people divide <clears throat> It's easier to take your toys and go home, isn't it? Pardon me, I'm going to take a drink. I was sitting in a Catholic Irish farming bar called the Myrna Tap. Little tiny place in a town with five houses. This is my in-law's world. We were there for a party for someone's birthday, and another farmer's name came up, and I said, I've never heard that guy before. And someone said, well, they've been feuding with me for 25 years. I said, feuding with you for 25 years? Then he pointed over at the bar, and that man he's been feuding with for 25 years is sitting there at the bar. They're just ignoring each other. I asked, what happened? <coughs> well, I found out that this farmer never had proper tools, so he borrowed it from the other farmer, and he always returned the tools broken. And so one day... The farmer said, hey, can I borrow your tractor again? And the other farmer said, no. For 25 years, they didn't talk in a town with five houses. That takes some doing, friends. That's commitment. Someone get to give them a gold star in division. We know this because the American church has actually over 30,000 plus denominations. We find ways to divide. And I think that there's that many denominations. It's a sign of a sickness that breaks the heart of God. We're just one of those denominations. The silver lining for me is that our ethos is of unity. May we be unified. The division is much more insidious than these stories, isn't it? I had a great Uncle Doc, and by great, I mean that he was my mom's uncle. I don't mean that he was a super fantastic uncle to me. Great Uncle Doc, who's in my family, a very famous atheist. And my great aunt, his sister, Aunt Faye, was a holy roller. I mean that in every sense of the term. She was a Christian in a way that I don't find very comfortable or enjoy being around. I always felt bad. Well, I think she rubbed off on my Uncle Doc 30 years ago before Aunt Faye passed away at some Christmas dinner. They got in an argument about God, and they just never talked ever since. My Uncle Doc got the phone call that Aunt Faye was dying, and he waited, he waited, and he waited until the next phone call came. She's only got a day left, Doc. You better come see her if you're going to. 
got in a car in East St. Louis and drove down to Florida to some, some podunk town in the middle of nowhere in the double-wide trailer where my Aunt Faye lived. And by the time he got to that front door, she had already died. There's a funny irony about my great-uncle Doc, the atheist, is that he got real angry with God that he took Aunt Faye before he got to make his amends. It is easy for us to get hurt and fall out. It's easy for us to disagree and walk away and ignore. It's easy for us to look for the fractures and fissures between people. Fred Rogers was fond of saying something that I find hopeful here. Even though we know that the world has got its own evils, Fred said the one thing that always can cure evil, that can always overcome evil, the one thing is forgiveness. Forgiveness is super powerful, and it can overcome any evil. As people called to being a community of reconciliation, let us be a people who embody forgiveness. Let's not just be against murder or violence or even gossip. Let us be for something. Let us work for reconciliation. Let us work for the wholeness of communities. If Church, if you can be that, if you have the courage to be that, you can be the salve that our broken world needs. If you have the guts to reach down and be a person, an agent of reconciliation, you will be what the world needs. So one, we need to learn to do forgiveness well. Two, we need to learn to have crucial conversations. There are certain kinds of problems between people that require conversation. They require saying words like, I am sorry. Would you say that with me right now, please? I am sorry. We don't like to say that too well, too much. We also need to learn to say things like this. You are forgiven. Would you say that with me? You are forgiven. You know that you've been forgiven by God, but there is a certain power in someone else letting you know you've been forgiven. If you're here, it probably means you're not Roman Catholic. But there's something to be confessing to a priest and being told, you know you are forgiven. There's power in that. We need to learn those words well. So conversations we need to learn to have. Another thing we need to learn more about is understanding. We really need to commit to understanding even before we're understood. We need to commit to understanding even before we are understood so we can know where someone else comes from. Being for reconciliation means we build bridges to people. Third, seems like I'm going to contradict the conversations bit, but let me say this. Not every little thing requires conversation. Not every complaint needs to be voiced. Sometimes we all need to put on our big boy pants and get over it. There are things that we just need to get over. You agree with me? Not every little problem needs to be squawked about. Sometimes you just got to get over it. Say, get over it. Life's short. Life is short. Make it better. I think probably most profoundly is we need to learn to commit to one another because the church is a peoplehood. We need to learn that our fates are bound together. I hate the language when people tell me I'm out church shopping because you and I know the church is not simply a building and it's not simply a series of products. So when, when you're church shopping, it means you're commodifying human people and I, that bothers me. 
And it happens on the other side of things too. When we get mad somewhere and we leave, we've exited relationship. We've exited relationship. Friends, we are more complete when we are together. Your success is in some way my success and my failure is in some way your failure. That's what the table tells us. I remember in my last church, we had a squirrely fellow in the congregation. You ever know any squirrely Christians in churches? If Jim Bell were here, he'd say the church is chock full of nuts. I know some squirrely Christians. None of, no one here is squirrely, but it, it's every other church I've been. It's had some squirrely types. And uh, this, really, this really guy, this, he's, I mean, that sweet guy, come, come in at life from a different point of view than me, just kind of unique. And I was telling my last pastor a story about him, and he, said, he smiled. He said his name, and he said about this person, well, he's one of us. There's something profound when you don't see each other as competitors, but as part of each other. You're one of us, and I'm one of you. So being people of reconciliation isn't our DNA. Friends, as you navigate this fractured world this week, and you feel the brokenness and you feel the pain, think of what Christ has called us to do, not just to be against stuff, but for reconciling, for healing, for love. And if you have the courage to do so, you might just change the world.